in your Bible and mine, one that we should know well and refer to often. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know, know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So he said, don't copy the world. Don't be like them. And let God transform you by changing the way you think. Um, getting saved is a massive change in the way you think. Growing in God, maturing spiritually, is all about incremental changes in the way you think, the way you look at life, the way you look at yourself, your past, your future, and everything around you. And without this single element, there's no forward motion in life, there's no spiritual maturity, there's no getting over anything, there's no going to another level until there is a shift in the way you're thinking about certain and specific aspects of your life. This is the process of being transformed. I'm a student, I'm a reader, I have thirst for knowledge and information, and I read a lot of stuff, a lot of people, and it's my pleasure to do so, and um, I'd like to do even more than I get to do. But when it comes down to making strategic changes in my life, it isn't just about finding a good book or following a good speaker or a knowledgeable person in some area of my life. It's about the Holy Spirit interacting with me, speaking to me at a deeper level than I may have heard before, allowing the Holy Spirit to shine His light on elements of my life and my attitude and my behavior that He wants to change. Now, when the Lord is doing His work in me, He often uses random, obscure, and unlikely voices to help me see aspects of myself and life that I might not have otherwise seen. God can use anything and anybody to open your mind. He can use a voice that you would never expect and couple it with a spirit of understanding. And suddenly you see something you would not have ever seen. So I'm always alert because sometimes God speaks through Unique people, different people, um, different ways that he communicates to us. But at the end of the day, it isn't about who spoke it, but it's about what God is doing in my heart. And that's the process that I'm engaged in, and I want to talk to you about that today. I've entitled the teaching this morning, What is Your Story? And I would like for all of us to ask that question, what is my story? What is my story? 
You see, every one of us have a story. Actually, we all have several little stories. Now, I'm not referring to our history, and I'm not referring to the little lies we told when we were children, but I'm talking about the smaller stories we tell ourselves that directly support our belief systems, our behavior, and the very life that we live. These stories reinforce who we are, what we believe, our expectations of ourselves, and our expectations for the future. Sometimes these little tiny stories are true, and sometimes they are not. Sometimes they have elements of truth in them. Sometimes we draw false conclusions because of them. Either way, the stories I tell myself construct the person that I am and create the life that I'm living. And so today I want us to look at what stories are we telling ourselves about ourselves and our lives. So some stories sound like this. A man that may be having difficulty in the area of his manhood may say, hey, all the men in the family are like this. He may say, I never had a dad in my home. Or he may say something like, uh, well, you know, God made men like this. But it's a story. It's something that a man is telling himself that supports his lifestyle, his attitude, his behavior. It's a little story. A person could be harsh and insensitive to others, known for being somewhat brutal with their words. But they could say, hey, I tell it straight. I'm more straightforward. Nobody pushes me around. I tell it like it is. These are little stories that this person might tell themselves to support their behavior and support their habits. Just stories. We all have them. An individual that chooses to be a smoker might say, hey, I'm young. I've got lots of time. My parents smoked and they didn't get cancer. Or if I smoke, I, if I quit smoking, I gain weight. And what's worse, smoking or gaining weight? It's just little stories. Stories that support what we do or what we don't do, what we think about ourselves and choices that we make. Someone that is dealing with financial challenges may say, hey, my family's never had anything, or I didn't get an education, or I just didn't have the opportunities other people have. But it's just stories that support the situation they're in. A man or a woman may be promiscuous, and they may say, well, I was molested as a child, and so forth and so on. Or, all my friends do this. Or, I'm a modern individual, I'm a modern adult, and that's the way the modern world works. But nevertheless, it's a story. It's something they're telling themselves to support their current behavior or lifestyle. Someone with poor eating habits may blame it on a family member. They may blame it on the kind of work they do. Or they may say, hey, that's just the way my body is. But it's a story. It's something that reinforces choices that they're making in life. 
They may be true or partially or not at all, but the point is their story is making their decisions. Someone may look back at a tragic time in their life and say, you know, after my accident, thus and so. Or after my parent died, thus and so. Or they may something say something like, you know, uh, when I, after, before I had my job or after I lost my job, but some incident or some tragedy happened in life, and it's always that tragedy that is defining their current situation and explaining why they're doing what they're doing. It's a story. Stories explain our attitudes and our behaviors. Sometimes they're nothing more than excuses. They're simple cover-ups or justifications for poor or bad behavior. They have a way of lowering the bar so we can more easily reach it, lowering our expectations of ourselves, lowering expectations of our life and the world around us. Stories have a tendency to lower the bar. But on the other hand, stories are powerful in the fact that they can also be the impetus of courage, the impetus of faith, and the impetus of righteous living. Good stories can motivate you to live the best life you can live. But we have to choose what the story is. And if I choose good stories, I'm probably going to have a better life than if I choose bad stories. Getting the story right means getting life right and vice versa. So today I'm taking a few moments to ask you to ask yourself with me, what is my story? What stories am I telling myself that are either limiting my life or expanding my life? So let's look closely at that. Now, you know, there is the truth and then there is the handcrafted realities that we all live in. There is what really is, what really happened, and the situation that actually is. And then there is our perception of it, and we call that reality. And if you're living close with someone, you need to share realities. But none of us have the exact reality. You can be married for a long time and have a great relationship and share most realities, but still have unique and distinctive realities. You can go through the exact same situations and have very different experiences because the way you perceive the world is slightly different. We all have a unique reality that we're working out of. Renee and I have a great marriage. We've been married for 41 years now. And she and I can go to a movie, see exactly the same movie, and have a very different experience. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We can go to a restaurant and eat, eat similar foods in the same exact environment, and we can leave the restaurant having completely different reports of how that rep, 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 restaurant was like. So, you know, it's possible to be very close to someone and have very similar realities, and, and, and yet have unique and distinct realities. And in marriages, oftentimes we're challenging each other's reality. We're often arguing about which reality is going to rule. And then after a while, you just give up and let each other have their own. 
And many arguments are about who's based on truth and facts and who is on fabrication and opinions. So there's truth and then there's realities and we're constantly dealing with those. I want my reality to be as factual and as truthful as I can get it. I'm not kidding myself. I know I probably can't arrive at the perfect place, but I'm always checking my reality to make sure it's based on fact and make sure it's based on the truth. It makes no sense to create a reality that's mostly fabrication, interpretation, and not really based on the truth. You know, if you see somebody that lives in la-la land, you know what la-la land is. They are not living in the truth. It's kind of a manufactured truth. It's a, it's a manufactured reality that they're living in. And we call it la-la land because they've lost touch with truth and reality. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth. And coming to Christ is coming to the pure, unadulterated truth. It's coming to reality from a basis of truth. God help us to find the truth in our lives. Facts are stubborn little things, but we sure have to deal with them, don't we? We can only move forward in life by embracing facts and truth. You can just get stuck in life, but when you start embracing facts and truth, it's when you start to see the light and start to see your way out. But if you live in the darkness and in a false reality, your life doesn't move forward and things remain the same. And you're cycling around and around and around the same kind of experiences. But it's a spiral. A spiral can either spiral upwards in its cyclic motion or a spiral can go downward in its, spiral, in its spiraling motion. So all of our lives are spiraling. They're all cycles in life. But I want my life to be cycling and spiraling upward, not spiraling downward. And so the more truth, the more reality that I can merge with truth, the more likely that the cycles in my life are going to be carrying me to higher levels rather than digging a deeper and deeper hole for myself. I don't know if anybody's even here today. I don't know if you're listening or sleeping or you checked out or what, but I'm not a good enough preacher to preach to somebody that's just looking at me. There are men that can do that, but I'm not one of them. So laugh, cry, do something, but don't just sit there and look at me, all right? Okay, just a slight rebuke. Not bad, just a little bit, you know. Not want to make anybody mad. <clears throat> the truth can be painful, but more importantly, it can be liberating. And I want to be free. Life doesn't have, life doesn't have a, you know, an icon that you can just push and it gives you the, your exact location. Here's what I mean by that. You know, I, I use my GPS, a little maps program on my phone. You probably do that too. And I'm always checking, you know, what the traffic is and which way to go and all that kind of stuff. If you're going somewhere you've never been, you just punch the address in. So you, you push one button and it says destination. So then the first thing you do is you write in, this is where I want to go. The next thing you do is you hit this other icon, this little arrow looking deal, and it show, it's your locator, so you hit that button, and it tells you exactly where you are. And it's amazing how accurate these things are. They can be within a few dozen feet, literally. 
The next button you push is directions. So first you put in your destination, then you hit where am I, location, it tells you exactly where you are, then you hit direction, it draws a map for you as from where you are now to where you want to go. But life doesn't have that kind of icons where you can just push a button and it can tell you exactly where you are today, exactly how you got here, exactly where you want to go. It, it, there's, there's an art to finding out where am I? Why, did I, why am I here, why is it like that, where do I have to go to get to where I want to be? Life doesn't have those kind of icons. We have to go to God and go to the Holy Spirit and say, Father, show me things about where I am right now and help me see things about myself I cannot see. If there's a button to push, it must look something like this to find out where you really are. And it's amazing how the Bible can help me locate myself and see things about myself that I would never have seen before. So first I put, where do I want to go? Secondly, where am I? And then find a road map to get there. That's a good pattern for getting your life move, moving forward. Paul taught that personal changes happen when we allow God to change the way we think. It's not random thoughts. It's not occasional thoughts. But it's patterns of thinking. It's things we think over and over again. It's patterned responses. It's little stories we tell over and over again that continue to reinforce who we are and what we do or don't do and where we're going in life. God has the ability to, to, to put the, a light on certain aspects of our pattern thoughts, our pattern stories, the way we look in life, and to help us change those stories. And it's, it's that work of grace in my life and yours that causes forward motion and movement for all of us. We don't engage in that process. We're probably not going to get anywhere. It's about transformation, changing our mind, changes our lives. So I've been listening to some of the stories that I tell to myself and to others. Some of them I found out were really good stories, and they're probably the reason I am blessed at the level I am, because I tell myself some pretty stinking good stories. But I've heard myself say some things even recently that I thought, how'd you come up with that? <laughs> exactly why have you arrived at that conclusion, and what in the world are you doing saying that over and over again? You see, stories have a way of lowering the bar, of lowering expectations that I have of myself, of my life, and hopefully other people might have of me. Stories have a way of covering, soothing, Negative stories and stories that are, are not consistent with God's will in life or may not even be the truth at all, they have a way about lowering the bar, lowering expectations, and kind of covering us and soothing some of our insecurities and our fears. So I've been asking God to, first of all, help me see and hear some of the stories that I tell that might not be right and might not be good and conducive to what I want in the future. And I'm asking him to help me to change those stories. The Bible's full of people that 
were just real people, and they had stories too. So I thought I'd take a few moments here this morning and talk to you about some of the stories from Bible characters and the stories they told and see if it wouldn't help us to locate some of the stories in our lives. <clears throat> Adam and Eve had a story. Uh, if you've read the Bible you, at all, you know what that story is. God put them in a beautiful garden, said, everything is yours, eat it, take care of it. I've given it to you as a blessing, it's yours. But there's one tree that belongs to me. The Lord always has a portion, the Lord's portion. He said, look, take care of the tree, but don't eat anything off of it because that's mine and I've set that aside for myself. So don't touch, don't, you can, you got to take care of it, but you can't eat of it. And so uh, the serpent came to Eve, beguiled Eve, and she ate the fruit. Then she took it to Adam, he ate the fruit. You know the story, it's why we're all in this big mess called the human race. And God said, what were you thinking? Adam said, my wife. She told me to do it. She's the one that, that talked me into this. Then he says to Eve, Eve, what were you doing? And she says, the serpent. It was a story. It was a story about why they had disobeyed God, a story about why they did the very thing God said, please don't ever do. It was a story. And their story was about blaming others. And I found that when I listen to my stories and your stories and I read stories and I hear everybody's story over and over again, it's someone else. It's someone else. They're the real reason why I am what I am and I do or don't do what I do. I have the life I live or I don't have the life I'd like to have is because something someone else did. So one of the ways we know right away it might be a story we want to change if it's somehow we're lowering the bar based on someone else's choices and behavior. We're blaming others. Then I read about Moses. You know, Moses, Moses was chosen to go lead God's people out of Israel and, I mean, out of Egyptian bondage. And so God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, well, I'd like to do that for you, God, but see, we have a real problem here. Number one, I have somewhat of a speech impediment. I don't speak clearly, I can't think, I get all frozen up when I'm talking to people, and I just don't do well as a communicator. Now, I'd like to do it for you, but you can obviously see that I'm not qualified for the job you're asking me to do. Therefore, I don't have to go to Egypt, I'm going to stay right here taking care of these sheep, I'm making good money, got a pretty good life, and I'm not going to Egypt because I'm not qualified. He said, furthermore... What makes you think those Israelis will listen to me? Who am I to walk in there and say, I'm your new leader? They're not going to listen to me, God. I mean, it's a, your plan it really, really stinks because it's just obviously not going to work. It was Moses' story. It was what he was saying about his circumstance. God's saying, go to Egypt, and he's saying, I just don't have what it takes to do what you're asking me to do. And sometimes we lower the bar and we justify disobedience or partial obedience or delayed obedience with a story of how we're not able, we're not qualified, we can't do that. It won't work. But it's a story. What story are you telling yourself? Flash to the New Testament, 
Jesus was going through an area where a number of sick people lived. And he said to one man, how he chose that man, I don't know, but he just looked at one man that was lame and he said, would you like to be healed? Would you like to be well and not have to live here anymore? You see, it was a pool. And uh, there was um, a myth that we can't establish, but it was a, a myth that on certain times that an angel would come down and trouble the water, and the first person that could get in the water while it was being troubled would be healed of whatever sickness or disease they may have had. So the only point of reference this, this man had was the myth that maybe if I'm watching close enough and the water suddenly moves when it shouldn't be moving, if I can get in there, maybe I'll be healed. So that was the only point of reference he had. But he had a story to go with it. When Jesus said, you want to be healed and like get well and not have to be here anymore? He said, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. That was his story. I need help, but there's no one to help me. I can't do it by myself, and there's no one around going to help me because they're all trying to get there themselves. And so what you're asking would be nice, but it's really not on my plate of objects, of, uh, of uh, options, because I don't have anybody to help me get in the water. How many of our stories sound a lot like the lame man who probably really would like to get well, who is sick that wouldn't like to get well, but didn't have the people around him to make it all happen. And so he's looking around and saying, I can't do it by myself and I have no one to help me. And that was his story. It's amazing what excuses we can come up with. But you know, there's some great stories in the Bible. Some great stories in the Bible. I want to mention a couple of really great stories in the Bible. Just individuals that responded and referred to their life and their past in the most correct and positive way. Remember Joseph? Well, there were several Josephs in the Bible, but uh, let's talk about Joseph that was in Egypt. Well, he was the son of Jacob. He was the youngest son. He was a favored son, and um, he had a dream that one day he was going to be a powerful, influential person. But when he was a, a young teenage boy, his older brothers that resented him captured him threw him in a pit and sold him as a slave and he was carried into a foreign country. So all of a sudden, all of his hopes, his dreams, his plans, his whole life was shattered in a moment when his own flesh and blood brothers sold him into slavery. So he spends his life in Egypt. He should be in Israel with his father and his brothers and worshiping the true and living God and taking over the family business, but instead he's a slave in Egypt. He gets there, and again, he suffers betrayal and mistreatment. And it looks like his life is getting somewhere, but then his hopes are dashed, and he goes backwards. He ends up in prison before it's all over with because his life kept looking like it was going to work, but then didn't. Looked like it was going to work, but then didn't. It was one disappointment after the other. It was one betrayal after the other. It was one whole dashed hope after the other. I mean, it was a roller coaster ride. I mean, just think of the stories Joseph could have told. Just think of the stories he could have told. He could have told stories about what it's like to be hated and betrayed by brothers that you'd never done anything wrong to. 
He could tell stories about what it was like to be captured and thrown into a pit and dragged to a foreign country, taken away from his family and his friends and the life that he loved and the place, the people that he loved. He could have told lots of stories about that. He could have told about how hard he worked to arise to, to be the steward of Potiphar's house, only to be yanked down by an ungodly wife. He could told about what it was like to be thrown into prison even though you've never done anything wrong in your whole life and yet you've been thrown into prison one more time, falsely accused and, and, and mistreated every way. Just think of the stories Joseph could have told. But somehow this unbelievable man went through all of those things and came out with the right story. And we heard it in the book of Genesis around chapter 50 and plus where his father's dead, mother's dead. They're all living in Egypt now. He's the prime minister of Egypt. He has all the authority and power. His father dies and his brothers go to him and say, okay, now dad's dead. You know what we did to you. Now that dad's dead, you're going to pay us back. And they were pleading for their lives. And... Uh, then we hear Joseph's story. And this is what he said. When they're pleading for their lives, begging him for forgiveness, praying that he will not pay them back for what they did, he just said this, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Now that's a story. Think about the worst thing that's ever happened in your life. Think about the most painful, unjust event or circumstances you've ever had in your whole life. I mean, the thing that broke your heart, shattered it into pieces. The thing that you feel like was probably the most ungodly, wicked, mean thing that's ever happened to you. By whomever or whatever. And say, you know, what has been my story about that situation? How do I relate to it and refer to it? What story do I tell about that tragic situation? Well, I know Joseph had quite a, quite a history. But at the end of the day, he just summed it all up and said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So can I look at the most painful, hurtful situation of my life when I feel like I might have been done as bad as I could ever was ever done in my life. Can I look at that situation and said, well, you may have meant it for evil, but God, he meant it for good. It's amazing how our God can convert. He converts things. The devil's trying to destroy us and God says, well, go ahead and try, but when you're done, I'm going to use it as a blessing. And someone else decides to, to do something painful and hurtful and so very wrong to you and God said well you go ahead and do it but I'll just convert it and I'll bring it about to something good can you look at the most painful thing you've ever experienced in your life and say they meant it for evil but God meant it for good that's the story I want to tell about my life that whatever happened, regardless of who thought it up or who perpetrated it or whether it was right or wrong or somewhere in between, the story I want to tell is my God is bigger than all the mean humans in the world and all the people that might do or say something wrong. My God is bigger than them and he has his plan that will not be interrupted, that will not be 
changed. His plan is at work in my life, and it supersedes all the other people in the world. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. David, one of our heroes of the Scripture, no doubt about it. So he's the youngest, a certain amount of resentment uh, there from his older brothers as well. Thankfully, they didn't do evil things to him, but there was a, a degree of, of resentment there. He was relegated to a few small sheep on the backside of the family farm, not given great responsibility or significance. He was kind of the, the youngest, sort of pushed aside, but God had chosen David, and David, God just kept on raising David up. So when David was a, a young man, uh, we think he was probably mid-teen age, his father sends him to the battlefront where his, three of his older brothers were fighting with King Saul against the, Philist the Philistines. Philistines. And um, so when he gets there, Goliath is there, and Goliath is cursing God and cursing the people of God, and Goliath is threatening and challenging, and, and David um, is, is talking to his brothers, and the Bible in 1 Samuel 17 talks about he goes kind of from person to person, and he said, what will be done for the man that goes out and kills this giant? And this, they would say to him, well, the king's going to bestow upon him great wealth, give him his daughter, cancel his father's taxes, uh, and, and it's just, you know, it's going to be a huge reward. So you go to the next person and say, well, what's the king going to do if we kill this giant? And they would say, well, you know, you're going to get to marry the king's daughter. You're going to get wealth and riches and you're going to no taxes and it's just going to be marvelous. So after a while, uh, the word gets back that David is sort of strutting his stuff and saying, I believe I can handle this guy. And King Saul says, send him up here. And... Uh, so, you know, David, Saul puts his armor on young David, and Saul was a big, tall, stout man. David was more of an average-sized guy, as we understand from Scripture, and uh, puts the armor on there, and, he, he, and David says, man, I, I, this armor's too big. I can't move, and, and it doesn't fit me, and I haven't proven it. And uh, so he takes the armor off and picks up his little sling, shepherd's uh, weapon of defense and provision for food, and he goes out there to face this giant. While the other men were saying, he's too big, he's too mean, he's too much of a man of war, we can't handle it. David runs out there with a sling saying, I come to you in the name of the Lord. <laughs> wow, that's a story. I mean, we've got this giant terrorist <laughs> that, that, that has a, a uh, you know, a river of blood behind him for all the men that he's killed. And David's running out there, just a young teenage boy, swinging his, swinging his, his, his sling, you know, and, and saying, you know, you come to me with sword and shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Boy, that's a story. You see, David's story was God's hand is on my life. And things happen to me that wouldn't normally happen, but because God's hand is on my life. And I've been in dangerous situations before when I thought I was lunch or breakfast. And, and somehow I won because the hand of God is on my life. That was his story. He said once a, a lion came out. And he said, I, I got the lion by the beard and I, I ripped his mouth open. I killed that lion 
because the hand of God was on my life. And another time a bear came after me and I, I killed a bear. I mean, I can't imagine a man killing a lion or a bear. Have you seen those beasts? And yet David realized that he had done impossible things. He had done things that could never have been done because the hand of God was on his life. And that's the lens he looked at the future through. That's the lens he looked at every situation he was in. The hand of God is on my life. And, and, and you come to me with natural means and natural uh, supports, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Well, I guess you know the story. David won the battle that day and went on to be the great king of Israel. It was his story. It was his story. It's the way he interpreted things. It opened up his life. While other men cowered in fear, it opened up his life, opened up his possibilities, and moved him into his destiny. I want to go back to the book of Genesis and tell you another great story that might help you. Jacob, that was Joseph's father. Jacob lost his young son, what he, he thought he had, uh, the brothers told dad that an animal had killed Joseph. So he thought, my son is dead. He lost his wife. Um, there was huge famine in the area. He was losing everything he had financially. His family was literally starving. And so here's, was Jacob, here, 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 here's Jacob's story. He said, all these things are against me. That was his story. All these things are against me. Death, famine, division in my family, my life is a wreck. He said, all these things are against me. Well, we know the rest of the story, how God was arranging things. It took some time, but God brought it all around for him. And he just said, all these things are against me. You know, if we're not careful, we can have a, a, a plurality of things go wrong in life. And pretty soon, we kind of come to this unspoken conclusion that everything's against me. Every time I think I'm going to get ahead, I'm knocked down. Everything looks like things are going right for me, suddenly they all start going wrong. And you can come to the same conclusion and tell the same kind of stories that Jacob said when he said, everything's against me, nothing ever works out. And right when it looks like it is, it all falls apart. And for whatever reason, everything's going wrong for me. That was his story. But then I go to the New Testament and I read the Apostle Paul's story. Boy, he had a story too. Well, he was beaten almost to death in the most inhuman, cruel way that man could devise. It took you right to the point of death, but allowed you to live and suffer. He had suffered shipwreck. He had been betrayed by people he loved and trusted. Um, he had been bitten by a snake. He had nearly starved to death. He almost froze to death. He, he got arrested. I mean, there's a lot of bad things happened to Paul. A lot more has ever happened in my life, that's for sure. Thank God. <laughs> Amen. But at the end of the day, Paul said this, all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Paul, three times you had 39 stripes and, and your body is permanently scarred and forever marred 
because of the severe beatings you took. Are you telling me that somehow those beatings and whippings you took unjustly somehow worked together for good? Paul said, that's my story. You mean when people you loved and cared about and had invested in and trusted when they betrayed you and forsook you? Are you telling me, Paul, that all things like that are working together for your good? Paul said, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, right? You mean, Paul, broke financially, you can't even buy bread to eat, you don't even have a coat to wear Are you telling me that all, all, all of that is working for your good? Paul said, all things work together for my good. Because I love God, I'm called according to His purpose, and I'm committed to His will in my life. And so, that was Paul's story. So how can you change your story? First of all, you've got to recognize the story. The good ones, the bad ones. You got to hear yourself telling stories that reinforce the person you are and the life you're living and the future you expect. You've got to hear yourself telling the story. Recognize it. You have to realize the consequences of a negative story. If I'm saying things that may not be accurate or may not be helpful to me in the future and they may not line up with the Scripture, I need to realize the consequences of saying things that hurt me and hurt my future. God helped me to realize the consequences of a false story. And then I need to visualize what my life could be like if I just told a better story. A story that was the truth completely. A story that lined up with God's Word. Not one that was based on emotion or, or, or pitifulness or, 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 or uh, self-pity, but a story that was based on what God has said about me and my life and the real truth. Is my story based on the truth or is it just based on self-pity? So my goal is to try to line up my stories with God's Word. Line up my view with God's view. When I read the Bible, I'm looking for... A story, a story that I can apply to my life and I can begin to rehearse. And then once I kind of get an idea of how I need to change that story and what it needs to really be like, then I want to get started today telling the right story. So I go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, right where we started. Paul said this, don't be conformed. Don't be like the world. Don't don't do whatever other humans are doing. Don't respond to your unique situations in life in the same way that other normal human beings respond. You and I are not normal. We are children of God. We are divine partakers of His. We are partakers of His divine nature. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We are not normal. But if you think like a normal human being, you're going to have the same life as a normal human being. But if we think like God thinks, then it elevates us and allows us to move forward in life, to be transformed from the person we have been to the person that He wants us to be. I want to be transformed into His image and His likeness. Can you say amen? Amen. So, don't raise your hand, but I'm just wondering, 
since we've been talking here for the last few minutes, um, how many of you have realized stories that you're telling that probably aren't the best story and are reinforcing poor habits, poor behavior, and is limiting your life in some way? Have you heard in your mind yourself say things that probably aren't clearly the truth and definitely aren't the best response and do not line up with God's Word? I hope that somehow the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today. I know that uh, I can't do that. It just takes the Holy Spirit to begin to shine the light on our lives and our hearts and help us to see what we might not have otherwise seen. Can you say amen? amen? You can close your Bibles now. If you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord, can I ask you why not? Can I ask you why not? You have a story. You have a story as to why you haven't given your life to the Lord. What is your story of why you have not submitted your heart and life to the Lord? Here's another question. Why are you not overcoming sin in your personal life? You're tolerating things that you are, know are not right and may be ashamed of. Why haven't you overcome them yet? Okay, listen, you're about to tell yourself a story. If you answer that question, it's going to be a story. It's going to be a story. You don't have to tell me that's part of your story, but listen to yourself. Listen to what story you're telling yourself as to why you haven't overcome that sin in your life. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's not so much a sinful thing, but it's an unproductive habit or unproductive behavior that does, is not conducive to the person you want to be or the place you want to be in your life. And when you answer that question, listen closely because you're going to answer it with a story. What's your story? If you're not practicing personal devotion and weekly worship, which the people of God have done throughout the history of God's people, why not? What's your story? What are you telling yourself? Has God given you some direction, some guidelines, an opportunity? Has He asked you to do something, but you haven't really done it yet, or maybe you haven't done it all yet, or maybe you're delaying? I don't know, but what's your story? Because when you answer that question, you're going to have a story. We've all got a story as to why we either don't obey God or we delay obedience or we partially obey. We've all got a story, and those stories have to be reconciled. So why is your life on hold? Why does it feel like you're not moving forward? What's your story? When you choose your story, you probably choose your destiny. But if you change your story you'll probably change your life. So um, God help us to change the stories we tell. Now today I've tried to wrap this in a modern vernacular and present it in a 21st century package. But actually, it's about 2,000 years old and it's the same exact thing the Apostle Paul was telling the church in Rome. Don't be conformed to the world, 
be transformed by renewing your mind, by changing the way you think and looking at something differently. And because you think about it differently, automatically you will speak about it differently. And once we begin to speak better things in our lives, better things begin to happen. Can you say amen? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward. We're closing now with a time of prayer and ministry. And if you're here today and you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you about that. Um, It could be something in your health. It could be for yourself or someone else. We'd be happy to pray with you about someone else that you're concerned about. It could be in the arena of your finances, your career, opportunities. It could be decisions you need to make. Um, It could be... uh, problems that you're having in some other area of life. It could could be a decision that you're making. All these things God cares about and he wants to help you with. And the beautiful thing of prayer is that it, it triggers the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It triggers God's help. And so prayer is a trigger. It's not like we can do it for you, but we become a trigger. So when we pray together, God answers prayer. Why God chose to answer prayer, Tom, I don't know. He just chose to set it up this way. And he just said, if you pray, I'll answer it. If you don't pray, I won't. You get prayer, things happen. You don't get prayer, things don't happen. Uh, so intending to pray, hoping to pray, promising to prayer don't work, but really praying really makes a difference. So if you need prayer ministry, I want to invite you to come down. We want to pray with you here today. It's not about church membership or anything like that. It's just about, do you need help from the Lord? We'll be happy to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to stand, and if you need prayer, you can come forward now. Choose any of these prayer partners you'd like, men or women. They'll be happy to pray with you. Any of them are capable of touching God in your behalf. So whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever it is you want to pray about, come forward. If there's uh, something you're hoping to overcome in your life, come forward right now. We'll be happy to pray with you. I want to pray over you and bless you. Uh, before you leave give you the opportunity to come forward for prayer as long as anybody needs prayer we'll be here to pray with you before you leave come down and get prayer Um, this is what we're here for here today how many of you enjoyed the the, uh, house of the Lord today enjoyed the worship how many of you got something out of the word may the Lord bless and keep you may he make his face shine upon you and give you peace may goodness and mercy follow you and the joy of the Lord be your strength May the Holy Spirit guide you and guard you and use you for His glory. Speak to you in your heart and talk to you about things you would not otherwise know. I speak this blessing on you all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week in the Lord.